On Pop Fiction Women, we explore what it means to be a complicated woman. Tired of endless variations of leading men next to one-dimensional archetypes of women, or strong female leads written by men that were essentially guys in women's bodies. We started this show to highlight the many female characters in entertainment worth exploring, as well as the women who dreamt them up. And now we're adding those creators to our conversations, discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations. On these episodes, there's no spoilers. So come on, it's starting. Today, we are talking with Tia Williams, who, according to NBC News, is a writer's writer with a fashionista twist. In 1997, the University of Virginia grad embarked on a career as a magazine beauty editor, working her way up the mastheads of YM, L, Glamour, Lucky, Teen People, and Essence. Currently an editorial director at Estee Lauder Companies, Tia lives in Brooklyn with her daughter, her husband, and several half-written manuscripts. Tia's fifth novel, Seven Days in June, is out now. Welcome to Pop Fiction Women, Tia. You have the distinct honor of being our first author to make a repeat appearance on Stop. Pop Fiction Women. Yes! Our very first. I, yes, our very oh. first. Wow. I, yes. What an honor. I had no idea, and it is such a pleasure to be back. I love talking to you guys. Oh, great. And we have been waiting for seven days in June since you teased it last appearance. So, yeah. And it did not disappoint, as we were saying before we started recording. I We just, we could not both love this book anymore. So we are so excited to talk to you about it. So can you tell our listeners who haven't yet read it a little bit about Seven Days in June? What's funny is that I think the first time I ever spoke about Seven Days in June was on your pod, <gasps> yes. and I hadn't yet perfected the elevator pitch, so I have a feeling that it was a rambling dissertation. <laughs> I think I've made it more concise by now. Okay. So it's about two authors who randomly meet at a fancy literary event in the Brooklyn Museum and sparks fly. But unbeknownst to everyone else, they're not strangers. They shared seven very torrid, very romantic, wild days together when they were teenagers. And then they went their separate ways, never to speak again. But we find out that they've secretly been communicating to each other over the past 15 years through their books. We love that. Yeah. And, you know, I have always been into a second chance lovers trope. So I'm always interested to know, like, what happens when the one that got away comes back. Yes. Oh, we're going to talk about that, too. We are. We're going to talk about that a lot. But first, we want to talk about your protagonist, Eva. What? Eva? Yeah. Eva. Okay, because in my head, I'm saying Jean-Vievre all the time. Jean-Vievre is it. Yes, yes. yes. We love Eva because we love complicated women, and she really breaks the mold in so many ways. She is strong, but also struggling to keep it together. She underestimates herself, but also overextends herself. She's trying to stop herself from going deep by spreading herself thin and not going to those places that scare her, like love and like her family history. So tell us more about Eva, your development of her as a character, how you found her voice, and any challenges or joys that you found in writing her. Oh my God, I feel like you just said it. Like yeah. she's trying, yeah, she's spreading herself thin so she doesn't go deep. Hi, that's me. So, <laughs> like, like Eva, well, I've been married for four months, but when I was writing Seven Days in June, I was 
a single mom in Brooklyn, a writer with a 12-year-old daughter and a Creole mother and a person suffering with a lifelong invisible disability, chronic migraines. So that's where she came from. It's like me having all of these layers. And they were always things I wanted to write about. I always wanted to write about having a black Creole mom with roots in Louisiana and what it meant sort of in the past and what it means now. I also always wanted to write about looking totally normal, but suffering in ways that are incomprehensible to most people. And I also wanted to write about what it was like to be a single mother. All those things seemed really insurmountable in terms of the genre I write in. It's like, where do you fit those things in? Especially like the ugliness and the, and the darkness of chronic pain. Like, how is that ever funny or sexy? Because it isn't. So. I've just been putting off addressing some of those things for a long time. And then after I wrote my last novel, The Perfect Fine, I was like, oh, what do I write about? Well, I might as well like go here and really stretch myself. And so, yeah, it's a love story. It's what I hope is like an iconic, you know, decade spanning romance, but also the protagonists are dealing with some very heavy traumas. And the first draft of it, you know, I dipped my toe into, oh, Eva hurts sometimes, and oh, Shane, you know, sort of has like a little bit of a, you know, substance abuse problem. (laughs) (laughs) And then my editor was like, no, you've got to go there, you know? And so when I'm describing the scenes of Eva, like sitting in a room full of people and she looks just as, you know, quote unquote, normal as everyone else, but she's jealous of the banal average things that everyone else seems to be able to pull off with no difficulty difficulty like laughing really hard or sneezing or, or turning going on your head yeah. turning your head you know without moving your whole body mm-hmm. so that you're not causing any brain rattling vibes you know having a drink just these normal things she's like oh god I wish I could do them so yeah I guess it sort of came from me trying to reckon with living with this thing my whole life. I am really in awe of the way that you made such a great love story with characters that had their own depth. Because you're right, chronic pain isn't sexy or fun, but chronic pain can be part of someone's life who Mm -hmm. is sexy and fun. And that's the part I don't think we see enough. We either go way in the dark direction or just ignore all the darkness. And I love this book on so many levels, but you really executed that beautifully. You really did. Thank you. Well, I find too often that like the quirky heroine, like her quirk is freckles. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know, or like, you know, she trips sometimes. Yeah, curly hair. Wow. You know, like. How does she manage? What does she do? Like what? anti-frizz serum does she like I wanted to make it super real the things I was dealing with when I was writing it were super real I was raising my child from my couch because I couldn't get up I I agree I think you mixed it so well thank you well you know on this podcast that we are sort of constantly challenging the way women in fiction and by extension life Mm -hmm. are labeled or based on the expectations that society places on us and I want to read something that Eva says on page 305 no one expects me men to be flaw-free. Women are expected to absorb traumas both subtle and loud and move on. Shoulder the weight of the world. But when the world fucks with us, the worst thing we can do is bury it. Embracing it makes us strong enough to fuck the world right back. Oh, 
And uh, you're like, did I write that? That is so good. But I love it because it's this idea that by embracing our contradictions and our pain, it can be a way to fight back. And, and, and I just thought that was so profound. So can you talk to us a little bit about that and maybe this double standard that you write about here in this passage? Yeah, I think that some of the tension between, so if you haven't read the book yet, there's flashbacks between Eva and Shane's week in June in 2004 when they were 17 and their week in June in 2019 when they're grown-ups. And I think that part of the tension of grown-up Eva and Shane is that it looks to her, like from her point of view, it looks like he has gotten to do everything that she wishes she could have done, but she's not allowed to do. Even starting from the event where they run into each other as adults, he's in jeans and a white t-shirt. She has squeezed herself into a bandage dress and is wearing stilettos and has this uncomfortable blowout and she's always in sneakers so she's like I don't even know how to walk on these heels and she's looking at him you know they're on a panel together and he's sort of being very glib about the awards that he's won and the traveling that he's done and the fact that he doesn't really live anywhere and doesn't even have a LinkedIn profile I mean whatever I'm just up here in my jeans man and she's looking at him like I want to kill this man because everything I do is with so much effort, raising this kid, putting on these heels, trying to be charming and cute for the audience when really, you know, I want to be saying the same sort of unexamined stuff that he's kind of throwing out there. And there's a line at some point where she says that women don't get to be bad boys. And we don't. I mean, look at the difference between Courtly Love and Kurt Cobain. Like, she is maligned forever for being this junky rock star, you know, raising a kid and fucking up and he did the same thing and then also committed suicide right. too right <laughs> abandoned his whole family abandoned his whole family so and but, somehow the blame is on her for not saving him not doing enough it's that it's that forever men can just stumble around and have a few wins and they're kings even getting on that panel right I, Mm -hmm. Eva was so worried she wasn't sure she was qualified enough. Yeah. She wasn't sure she could do it. And then he just walks in and is like, sure, I'll go up there and just start talking. Of course, everyone wants to hear what I have to say. Yeah, totally unprepared. He's just sort of mumbling through the whole thing. And he's a hero. Yes. So, yeah, there's a total double standard. There is. And Eva takes him to task, and we like that. She does not let him get away with shit. But we do love their love story. Because yes. we love a one-that-got-away story on Pop Fiction Women. Kate loves, like you had mentioned before, Second Chances. And I really love love that's been thwarted, right? They, they had a seven intense days, but who knows? The relationship could have gone anywhere. It could have been, you know, forever, or it could have burned out on day eight. But yeah. you fully satisfied both of us with this book. So what draws you to the concept you said uh, about second chances to that idea and tell us how you formed Shane and Eva's history and their story? Well, it first came to me because I was watching Boz Lerman's Romeo and Juliet with Leo and Claire. And at the end, I was like, I just had this moment. I was like, well, what if Romeo and Juliet didn't die? Like, what if they had just went their separate ways and then met again as grown-ups and no longer as insane as they were as teens and wild? And what would have happened? And the whole idea of do soulmates have an expiration date? And so I, I wanted oh, to... Do soulmates have an expiration date? That's right. so good. Oh, So I wanted to, like, poke around in that. And I also love the idea of... 
you know, I grew up in the 80s, so it's like the John Hughes teen years of, you know, the prom of it all. And, yes. you know, <laughs> oh my God, like, what am I going to wear at a homecoming? You know, or just the white suburban idea of teenagedom. Barely even it ex exists for most white teenagers. <laughs> like, it's just like, that's just not how... It goes like a lot of teenagers are depressed and weird and antisocial and feel like they should be behaving some way that they see in media, but they're just not able to get there. And that's, you know, that sucks. And, you know, I wanted to, to write about a teen couple that wasn't shiny and glossy and they had problems that they didn't know what to do with, but they figured them out as adults. And yeah, so I wanted to look at that a little bit and then also think about the idea that sometimes in order to move forward as an adult, you have to reckon with the past. And so a piece of what Shane represented to Eva showing up out of nowhere like that was, oh, now I have to think about all these insane things that I did and how weird my life was as a child and how dysfunctional it was and how I've been burying it, lying about it so that I can be this perfect mom. And now he's back and I have to deal with all of that. But what she realizes is in confronting her past, which also leads her to confronting stuff with her mom, that's gonna help her be a better mom in the future, a better artist in the future, a better girlfriend or wife in the future, because she has, I mean, I, I'm so exhausted with standing in your truth and journeys and all of that, but like, <laughs> she wasn't in standing in her authentic truth, and you really can't, you know, be, unless you're really honest with yourself and who you are and you forgive who you were in your past and learn to love who you were in the past, what are you going to be in the future? Incomplete at the best, right? Right. Because you're not taking all of it in. Exactly. Well, that leads so nicely into my next question because it kind of gets at Shane's role in that. As we've talked about, Eva is really, she's putting on a good face. She's being a good mom. But when Shane comes back, like you said, I mean, all of that crumbles really because he can see through it all he can see directly sort of into her and he knows her past and he as we like to say sees her with a capital s which is something we talk about on here a lot being seen and corinne and i do come as she said at the one that got away stories from slightly different places i love them all full stop literally but on a recent episode i kind of crystallized for me what what i love the most and you, and seven days in june really nails this it's the self-actualization part i love mm. the one that got away stories that are about when the one that got away comes back and awakens the person on the inside helps her find her voice reminds her of who she is mm -hmm. and there's a couple passages in here that so speak to that you said at one point that shane was pulling her back to her real self there's another part where you wrote something had been unlocked in her and then i wanted to read this full passage from page 291 there was power in showing the messiness of her life and what it took to hold it together. This week had liberated her. And whether she liked it or not, Shane had a lot to do with it. But then you say this, or she says to herself, this isn't about him. It's about me occupying all the space I need to, standing tall in exactly who the hell I am. And so to me, that means... And Corinne and I have talked about this. This is sort of a concept she said to me in response to statements I made like this. She's, it's really that the one that got away is Eva. Right. right? 
you know? Yeah. So is that something that appeals to you about these one that got away stories? Yeah, definitely. It's amazing that you guys saw that because that was something I was trying to do to kind of suggest that the one that she was missing and the one that she needed to meet again and deal with was herself. And that Shane was sort of the, the conduit to that. Yeah, I always think that's so interesting. I love a buried past. I love the idea of people who, because we all do this. If you're not born in New York and you come to New York as an adult, you're coming to reinvent yourself. You just are, or else you would stay in Kalamazoo. Yes, right, right. There's no reason to come here. If you're not trying to put on a glossy new coat of paint and like change who you are, you would have stayed in Fairfax, Virginia. And by you, I mean me. Yeah. <laughs> so I look around at my group of friends and the people I work with and the people just I've known throughout the, you know, 23 years of living in New York. And we all have stuff that we're running away from. Everyone does. And it really, really interests me, like putting together those puzzle pieces of who you are to make yourself whole, which is what you have to do as a grown-up grown-up. When you're in your 20s, you can run as fast as you can. You don't have to deal with anything. Like, it's fine. But then, like, you pay the bill when you're 35. You don't get to run out on that check forever. <laughs> right. It all comes back, and you ha you must deal with it. And this isn't a book I could have written 10 years ago, because I wasn't dealing with anything then either. It's just kind of a pawn further reflection post 40 that you realize that oh you know that stuff catches up with you and you need to get some therapy or meditate or something <laughs> well so this or is both what, or both Sorry. or both <laughs> yeah and then some do some energy work get, do some acupuncture yes. whatever it is oh my god i've done every All single of one the of the things you just said <laughs> thank you very much every single one of them <laughs> <laughs> and it's not past tense, so... Yeah. Right, it's all, yeah, currently happening. So the other side of being seen, and I like that you said Shane is a conduit, because that really is the way I see it. The other side of being seen, which I had never, Kate, we've never even talked about this before, but I just realized it in this moment, is showing with a capital S. You can't mm. be seen unless you show yourself. <gasps> and Eva's vulnerability with Shane, it makes him and us love her that much more. And I love that you gave us his perspective too. And she starts out before she gets to these realizations that Kate just read, she doesn't want to go there. And so she's telling him about her family history over gelato, but he keeps pushing her. Show me, show me, show me. Right. Uh, right. And so I want to, there's a little bit I want to read at that date. You know, she says a little and then he wants more and his reactions obviously help her to feel comfortable to show. And he's like, this is your lineage? That's some remarkably dark, fantastic shit. And you can tell through the whole passage, he's so excited, he wants to hear more. And he even says later in that page, Shane wanted more. As Eva talked, she transformed, her hands floating in the air as if grabbing pieces of the story, her voice fluid, shape-shifting, like she'd lived the stories herself. Meanwhile, she's talking about her mother and her grandmother and a town she's never been back to so and then he says Eva was all of these women and he tells her she needs to write this book and she's like I can't and he wants to know why he again pushes her and she shows him she says I can't it require breaking myself open why don't you want it want to it's a mess in there she says hollowly he wondered when the last time she'd fallen apart in front of someone was but that's the good stuff he insisted it's you I can't afford to fall apart she said and then she pushes him 
him and he says the same thing I can't afford to fall apart either and that's the good stuff right Mm. that I was dying when I read that because I'm like yes show each other do it you know be (laughs) vulnerable that's where the good stuff is and we're all so afraid to show that because we think it makes us look weak or it will give somebody leverage over us or something where we keep those things inside but that's the really good stuff and when you can show and share that and be seen that's the best part of of life really it's hard but it's the best part of it and yeah. obviously you agree. I do agree. It's and a leading question right yes, there, Counselor. that was quite a leading <laughs> question, Counselor. Mm, yes, um, I am, so I am I, leading you where you brought me, Tia. <laughs> yeah, and when I was writing that, I was going through a phase where I didn't really want to hang out with good friends. Because if they asked me how I was doing, I would have to tell them. Or they would notice. So I would avoid, actually, I still do this, like avoid people that I'm closest to in favor of surface level friends or those kind of super chatty people in your life where you can just ask a question and they'll talk for 20 minutes so you don't have to do much because then you'll have to give it all away and talk about how much pain you're in and how you think your daughter has been assigned the worst mother ever and you feel bad for her or just how you're a bad sister or a bad daughter or you're unlovable. All those things that you feel like you are or that you're going through and you know that if someone who really knows you, you know, if they unlock even a small part of this, you're going to overflow like a waterfall. And that's what I was touching on, too, when they even Shane first get together after meeting again after so many years on the panel and they're in the diner and he she's like, get out of here. Like, I, OK, like, I get it. You're here, but I don't want to talk to you. You've got to go. And he was like, fine, I get it. Let me just ask you this one thing. How is your head? And she's like, oh, God, no, no. And it occurs to her that no one really asks her. And it's really because she doesn't let anyone. When he says, are you happy? And that's what really kills her and sends her running out of the diner because she didn't, she doesn't, what is happy? She doesn't even allow herself to wonder what it is. And again, no one asks her. And no one asks women anyway. No one asks mothers if oh they're happy. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're happy. It's are the kids okay? Is the if if there's a husband, is the husband okay? It's we're just supposed to figure it out because we're the stronger ones. Like we're especially black women, we don't have any issues. We absorb everyone else's issues and we cheer everyone else on. But a lot of us don't even have the language to describe how we feel. Oh, I'm gonna have to shift gears here. Sorry, I know not uh, to get all no only because. No, no, it's not depressing, but... Before you go on, I just wanted to say, the thing is, society isn't welcoming, and we're not trained even how to ask. Like, how is your head? How are you feeling? Are you right. okay? But the other thing is, as people, we tend to think, like, oh, I haven't called my mom in two weeks. I am a horrible daughter. Never mind the years before that. <laughs> like, it's mm-hmm. all erased if in the past two weeks I've been terrible. And we think, like, what we're going through right now is so permanent. It defines us. I am a terrible daughter. I am a terrible wife. I am a terrible mother. Because right now I'm struggling. And we erase everything else before it and, and any potential that could come after it. And we're just like, no, this is it. That's who I am. Yeah, it's so lame. It's too much. <laughs> And you know who doesn't do that? Men. Men. 
Of course not. No. So go ahead. But you're right. He asks that one question, you know, how's your head and are you happy? And it's just, it does. It's the unlocking. And that brings that intimacy and vulnerability brings the heat between yeah. them and that's where <laughs> i am going with this see that segue i did make yes. a segue um that's good this book is hot i mean let me just be direct it is sexy and steamy and delicious and it seems to me like the perfect bomb b-a-l-m for the new post-pandemic world like eva's not the only one shedding her skin and coming out of a cocoon and breaking open i feel like we're all sort of finally coming alive again for a lot of people that will mean just basic human connection now and and re-entering the world but listen for others that will mean literally getting back out there dating hookups one night stands whatever and i know you didn't write this knowing what was coming for the world but it seems to me that the timing is pretty good and that we all kind of need a little heat and passion right now so can you speak to that? Funny. Yeah, I didn't, I never thought of that because obviously I was not writing, like the world was the world when I was writing. <laughs> very strange. And when the lockdown happened, I was like, oh my God, what's going to happen to my book? <laughs> like, how am I going to launch a book in the middle of a pandemic? But yeah, you're right. This is, we're all sort of in this space right now where we're revealing ourselves again. And I feel like- Literally taking masks down. Yeah. And it's going to be awkward for a while. I mean, I can't imagine being single right now and just the wildness everyone must feel like, okay, I'm going to get out there and, you know, show the summer who's boss. Well, the vaxxed and waxed memes everywhere are kind of a hint in that direction. Yeah, I think it's just going to be debaucherous. And you're right. It's the same kind of feeling that Eva has had because she's been locked up forever. She hasn't had sex in four years. He hasn't had sex in two years because he's not to give too much away, but he was in AA and he was really trying to follow the rules about not being in relationships and not having sexual relationships like while you're in recovery. And so it almost, when they finally do seal seal the deal, it's like, oh my God, you know, (laughs) it's explosive because they haven't done anything in so long, which yes, is going to mirror, I'm sure what a lot of people go through this summer. Yeah, I think this book is coming out at the perfect time. Anyway, you've been talking about and we have been holding off not ignoring the panel scene because so much happens. I mean, it's a masterclass in escalation. There's the rising tension, raising the stakes, and it's not only about them meeting there's so much more involved. You have multiple points of view around the conversation of race. You talk about the dominance of black tropes, black suffering being more marketable than black joy, the void of black characters in fantasy or paranormal. You also have Eva declare herself recreationally woke. even though she's crushing it on the panel (laughs) so the scene is is just so good on so many levels it really is a masterclass in in writing and the fact that your dialogue the different points of view and the the all caps i just was cracking up anyway i'd love to hear about writing it because was it easy for you to write did it take a hundred revisions have you gotten good reactions tell me it was so easy to write that was probably the easiest part because i know all these people Mm -hmm. so here's the thing like a a lot of definitely the media i feel like sees black people as 
a monolith. Like we all think the same thing. A lot of times we're really even just symbols of oppression and don't even have inner lives or different opinions or come from different places. And it's not true, obviously. And we even all have different opinions on black oppression and American racial politics and identity politics. And so like within our community, there are these different camps that I sort of wanted to address in that scene. So you have like the people, Khalil? Khalil. Yes, so you mm -hmm. have like the guys, like, cause it's always a man, yeah. who is black men that are focused solely on the degradation and disenfranchisement and mistreatment of black men to the exclusion of black women, which is always funny to talk to those guys because like I show in the panel scene, they're always talking in all caps at you. It is a definite mansplaining experience. I had one of these guys once try to explain to me, I said something about how it was a joke, but based sort of in reality that Christianity was the white man's religion that they put upon enslaved black people to keep them in line. Yeah, you suffer in the present day, but you'll go to heaven when you die, you know, kind of thing. And then I had like this Khalil type character try to give me African-American history 101 lesson on how there were Egyptian Christians and there were this and there was that. And well, you're wrong about this. And, you know, he well actually me for oh, like boy. 45 minutes. Oh, I was like, boy. okay, dude, okay. like whatever. It was a joke, first of all. So you have that, and then you have like the super bohemian, like Belinda types that, you know, are just like, light a candle, it'll be fine. Like, <laughs> you know, sort of on this Erica Badu, like spiritual plane that isn't so much based in reality. Like it's more like, it's a lot of weaponized spiritual language. I'm trying to think of a good example. I don't know if you've, if you've ever listened to like Jada Pinkett's Red Table Talk. It's always about, like I said, like standing in your truth and journeys. Yeah. And it's very personal, right? It doesn't it doesn't have a collective feel. It doesn't to it. have a collective feel, and it's using language that used to be, belong to therapists. Mm in this confrontational way. I'm also not denigrating it because a lot of people find comfort and peace in, in sort of operating from that space, but it just doesn't seem to be grounded in reality to me. And then you have the people like Eva and the people like me that are woke, very woke recreationally. They're happy to talk about it at the dinner table or among friends and teach their kids but don't really feel qualified to get up in front of an audience and open up a discourse on racial politics in America. Because, I mean, I know people that, yeah, win awards doing that stuff, go on talk shows doing that stuff. Like, it is a very refined skill set. Like, you have to make sure you don't offend the whites don't ruffle the feathers because then you lose them and they're not going to get the message. And so you have to, that's something that I, I don't know how to do. And that's why Eva was so nervous. She's like, I don't know how to get up in front of people and talk about what it feels like to be a black author in America right now. Like, is it, was Tanisi Coates not available? Like, right. this is not, <laughs> you Zadie know, like, Smith? yeah, get Sadie Smith yes. in here. Like, I write airport fiction. I just kind of wanted to touch on the fact that we don't all come from the same place at all. You did a really great job conveying that. By giving so many different panelists and points of view, you were able to touch on each of those tropes or those points of view and perspectives. And it was a very great scene to read. Great scene to read. Oh, thank 
you. So there are a lot of references to astrology in this book. Not that we're surprised based on our prior conversations, but you know we we love that here. I was hoping Eva would be a Leo like you and I. I know. <laughs> she just didn't have Leo energy. She did No, like. no. It's like then when her friend said she was such a Scorpio with an Aries moon, I was like, all right, that's oh, actually yeah. pretty perfect. You nailed it. Totally. Yeah. And you made Corinne happy by making Shane an Aries, although she may take issue with the whole thoughts of the Zodiac reference. No. I don't know. I don't take I don't take I don't take issue. She, you're not wrong. No. Maybe sometimes we're it's misplaced and we're misunderstood. It's both. It's okay, fine. fine. Fair enough. I'll take it. So last time you were on with us, we discussed your sign. We've discussed the Leos. We also discussed your parents having the trifecta of fire signs, which we're still impressed by. So this time I wanted to talk a little bit about your romantic connection with your husband. By the way, can we just say that most people were buried during the pandemic and you were like, no, it's okay. Let's get married. It's yeah, good. Get married is fine. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I find that so inspiring. And you were like, this the is what matters. The pictures were beautiful. I know. Thank beautiful. you. Beautiful. Oh, beautiful. That was very sweet. So mm. I have a book, courtesy of Kate, actually, who got it for me, that matches week by week your signs. And you know how good we are at stalking. So we found yeah. your husband's. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When yeah. we're finished, can you text me the name of this? Yes. My it's daughter so is so into astrology. Uh, like this, <gasps> you gotta get her these books. Send her, okay, okay, okay. Love, 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 love. Okay. <laughs> So he is the week of the unconventional cancer too, and you are the week of leadership. W E E K. Like that's the week. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. This unusual and powerful combination can achieve prominence through its outstanding mental talents, right? <gasps> uh, did we nail you already? Yes. <laughs> its focus is a thoughtful approach capable of quickly assessing a problem at its roots and taking steps to solve it. Okay. The leadership qualities of Leo 3s often coalesce with the uncanny ability of Cancer 2s to anticipate their wishes, oh my as God. well as problems or trends in the world at large. In this way, these two can make an outstanding combination in many areas of achievement. Lovers in this combination sometimes mirror and duplicate each other's moods, but the relationship offers the psychological insight that they need to figure out what is going on. Their comprehension is often immediate. They are capable of almost instant awareness of the consequences of their actions and behavior together. This heightened consciousness allows for an interesting blend of physical and mental communication and also obviates obviates somewhat the need for bothersome discussions afterwards. You know what's interesting? So I'm 45. I met Francesco when I was 43 and he was 39. And all of those things that you said are true. I chalked them up about like communication and how we get it instantly yes. and there's no need for bothersome conversations afterwards. I chalked that up to us being so old when we met. <laughs> I was no. like, okay, we've had we've had all the dysfunctional relationships, we've had a bit of therapy therapy, we know our you know, where our problem areas are or whatever. I thought it was just being mature, no. but it's our sign. It's you too. It's a match. We love it. So I have to tell you guys, I'm not wearing this necklace. My mom is visiting and she's staying in my bedroom. And so I couldn't get in the bedroom this morning to put my necklace on for you guys. Oh. And I forgot to leave it out. <laughs> but my husband, Francesco, is Danish. So he grew up right outside of Copenhagen. But his father is from southern Italy. So he's half Italian, half Danish. Nationality is Danish. Anyway, he went home to Denmark last month and was going through like old family things and came back with this little charm with 
a lion. It's a gold, 14 karat gold charm with a lion engraved on the front. And on the back, it's engraved to Francesco from your Nona in Italian. Oh. So his grandmother mistakenly thought he was a Leo oh. instead of a cancer. And he's had that in a box <gasps> forever because he's obviously not a Leo, so he never did anything with it. And he was looking through his stuff and he was like, oh my God, I married a Leo. That is amazing. I mean, so oh, I put I it on a chain and I wear it every day. That's, oh. I mean, that's one of those stories that's like, do soulmates have an expiration date? No, they do no. not. <laughs> Hello. From yeah. baby till however long it takes. Right. Oh, oh my that's gosh. Amazing. So I wanted to wear it for you guys, but I. I oh. I well, I'm glad you didn't because now we got to hear the story. Yeah. <laughs> the full story. I love <laughs> exactly. that. Exactly. Which also brings me beautifully to my next aspect I wanted to talk about. This book is multi generational and it's so much more than just a hot love story, which, by the way, I feel the need to say it is. <laughs> It's still that hot love story. But you built in generational complexity with the mothers and the daughters in this book, which I love because it's kind of the way humans operate. We have Eva telling her daughter the highlights of grandma and not the full story. And, you know, her remembering some of the really bad times. And we repeat the good things that we learned at home. And we try to do the polar opposite of the bad things that we experienced. And then, like Audra, she has the task of discerning what the truth is apart from the lens of the stories that were told by our family, about our family. And you give us all of that in this book. And I really love that. Why did you want to add those other generational elements? Because this is a one that got away story. It's a great love story. You didn't have to include that. And even with some of their darkness, it's their own choices to some extent. But we all know that nothing's really our own choice. I mean, it's passed down to us to some extent. And sometimes when we go the other way, still passed down because you wouldn't know what the other way was if you weren't reacting to something that was given to you. So why did you want to explore that in this book? I love families and I love mothers and grandmothers and great grandmothers. Like you said, we are walking around with all of that stuff in us, whether you know it or not, whether you know where you come from or not. I'm very lucky to have grown up with family who has recorded everything. We know our lineage from the first French guy that showed up in Louisiana and had a thing with an enslaved woman. (laughs) We know who they are and we know the histories. We have pictures of, of our ancestors and I grew up with these amazing black and white pictures and photo albums and stories passed down. Creole people love an oral tradition. Like by the time it gets to you, who knows how true it is, but like, you know, that's that's how that goes. So yeah, I grew up surrounded by my ancestors on the walls and I just was always like looking into their faces like, who the hell are you? Like what was second grade like for you? You know, like what what's in your mind? What was your first date? Like, are you secretly gay? What's going on? Like I just wanted to know the their lives and a lot of their lives I, I did know because of like I said this oral tradition that's passed down I know a lot of families don't have that and especially a lot of black families don't have that because you know we weren't able to record all of these things a lot of the times there's no birth certificates or your great great grandmother couldn't read or couldn't write or a lot of our history is totally erased you know, and it's impossible to find. It's funny, sometimes black Americans will go to Europe and what Europeans know about us is that we're African-American, which would suggest that we would know who our people are 
in Africa, which is such a ludicrous idea for a black American because we have no idea what tribe we came from or what country we came from or what our names were or what religion we practiced. We don't have a past 400, 500 years unless your parents are literally African or, you know, you just don't know. So I've always been interested. It's like, how do you know where you're going if you don't know where you've been kind of a thing? And I have friends that don't have access to, you know, their ancestral history the way I do and as adults have sought it out and they're shocked by what they find because there's a great aunt who you look exactly like or there's a great 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 grandmother who was also an artist or suffered depression and people just thought she was crazy and maybe she was put away or kept in a back room and you feel her because you couldn't get up without Prozac and you wonder what her life would have been like if she was born today. Yeah, and, and had gotten a proper diagnosis and was treated like a human. I just think it's so interesting, those, those parallels. Yes. You know? You I, really nailed the mother-daughter relationship, though. And I know in your acknowledgments, you did mention some help from your own daughter. So did she help you with sort of the dialogue? Or you, you live it, I guess, every day. I live it, it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. For better I, or worse, yeah. I have a 13-year-old. So it's a boy, but still. So he is not as witty or, or as interesting <laughs> as your character or I'm sure your daughter. But. I was going to say, it's such a different experience. Okay. Don't boys just worship their moms? It's yeah, like... but Yes, but they also give you like four words max a day i mean you're never gonna know their emotional universe (laughs) they're not aspiring psychologists no no oh i love her my daughter so you know obviously she's my ex-husband her dad and i co-parent very well so we split her down the middle he lives i can see his apartment Uh. home from across the street out of my window so when i say she grew up with i mean when she was with me so she grew up with a single mother and her 40 year old friends (laughs) that's how she talks and that's how she sees the world and sometimes she's the smartest most insightful person in the room in a room of grown-ups because she hasn't been conditioned otherwise yet we lose track of things that we know at her age and Mm -hmm. you forget it you have to to put on your face exactly yeah society takes it out of you so i kind of wrote her as the greek chorus almost like the reader in in a way like you guys Mm -hmm. are idiots what are you doing like which one of you is the turtle yeah it was really fun to write that, that was character. Great. Well, we can't let you leave without getting an update on the adaptation of The Perfect Find and Gabrielle Union and Netflix and all the, if there's anything new to report, I know these things can be years Yeah, well, unfortunately, yeah, COVID put yes. a yeah. wrench in the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So it's I'm like sure. only now, like, what has it been, a week in production? Ah. You know, over a year late, but now it's in production and they're casting the rest of the movie. We have an Eric, Keith Powers, who is so handsome and perfect and looks exactly like what I thought he was when I was writing it. And a Darcy Vale, which is Niecy Nash, who is fabulous. But everyone else is being cast right now. And I think like the actual film production will start at the end of June in New York. Oh, June. I love it. I know. (laughs) It's the magical month. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's great. Yes. And so for our last question, we just want to ask you, we know you are a pup 
culture junkie, as are we. And we wanted to know if you are obsessing over anything, what you're watching, what you're reading, listening to, what you want to share. Okay, so I am really into Mayor of Easttown. Okay. We haven't. Okay. We, we, yeah, that's it. We're going to have to do it. Yeah. It. When okay. Tia says it, we're, we're in. Listen, okay. this yeah. is a complicated woman. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Kate Winslet. I mean, okay. She's fantastic. Right. Yeah, the care. Oh, my God. And it's like a character I haven't seen her play. Like, it's really interesting. And wow, does she nail a Pennsylvania accent. Ah. <laughs> yes. I don't know if you guys have ever heard the podcast You're Wrong About. It's really good. It just sort of takes just random things like cancel culture or the satanic panic or cops or whatever. Whatever, and just sort of give you a different perspective. They did one on Jessica Simpson. Yes, the <laughs> Jessica Simpson one was iconic. Three. Did on what is the Marsha Clark? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like it's just really cool. What else am I? What am I reading? Well, I just finished Mariah Carey's memoir, which was quite a ride. Oh okay. Oh okay. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. And also the warmth of other suns i just reread which is about the great migration in the early 1900s which is fascinating to me and i'm also really looking forward to reading this new sort of i want to call it a love story but it's also sort of just like a zingy contemporary fiction piece called the view is exhausting which is getting a lot of buzz and comes out in July. So yeah, I think... Sounds good, but that's a lot of good stuff. Yeah, You've given us some homework, yes. (laughs) There we go. The view is exhausting, I love that. Great title, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, Tia, thank you so much for joining us again. I had a ball. I love chatting with you ladies. I feel like this could could have been three hours. We we could easily go for three hours. We could. Let me just tell you, everyone is going to be satisfied with this ending. Yes. Because Kate and I don't always agree on the ending of these kind of books. And this was perfect. But were you bawling, Corinne? Because I don't think it was supposed to be. I I I was. Oh, okay. I thought this was just me because I tend to get really emotional about these things. That's why I was crying and hugging it. It was like the good tears, though. Good tears. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yes. Good. Yeah. People think now someone dies at the end. I'm sorry. I've made it into there a tragedy no of no, all it's proportions. Love. That's not exactly That's how love is. It's emotionally overwhelming. How about that? In the best way. I'm so thrilled that you guys loved it. I value your opinions massively, as you know. So this is very exciting. And you hugged the book. I want to hug my laptop. Yeah. we do I'm going to be talking about this book and telling people about this book and buying this book for other people and shoving it in their hands I'm not kidding it is it is so perfect it is so what you need to be reading yeah Mm -hmm. thank you I really appreciate it oh yay Tia tell our listeners where they can find you where you're most active on social media yeah I think I'm most active on Instagram and it's Tia Williams writes and then on Twitter it's Tia W underscore writes and then just Tia Williams on Facebook and I have a website TiaWilliams.net with the best author photos ever though really? I say this oh, yeah. every time you just have the best yes. pictures I mean you yeah you're very Thank photogenic you. yes and oh, you and you style, style yes no style I agree to them, you yes. know I yeah agree. they I show your personality it. they really do more than your traditional author photos that are often just very nice pictures but and yours are 
personality. Yes. I feel like I want to look glamorous. Yes. You should. You should. <laughs> of course you do. I know. And you should. Okay. I know. Okay. Did, you, did, did you guys ever watch Irreconcilable Differences when you were growing up? Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. I was so taken with Shelley Long when she turns into a best-selling author. Like suddenly she's, you know, she gets the haircut. She's like smoking cigarettes and has oh on shoulder pads. God. Like and I don't smoke, but right. it was like the glamorous author makeover. So I yes. always want to channel that. I love that. <laughs> You're so great. You are going above and beyond. Let me tell you. Mm-hmm. And you. the next time we three are together, it will be in person. IRL. Yes. Definitely. Absolutely. I'm in. And I'll wear my necklace we want to let you know we've launched a patreon page where supporters can receive perks like bonus episodes and exclusive content because pop fiction women is our passion project a place where we give women space to show up and offer in-depth analysis in the ways we're used to hearing about male creators and their characters We delve into creativity and psychology with a dash of astrology, and we have so much fun doing it. Just two friends breaking down books, movies, and shows like Normal People, Fleabag, and I May Destroy You. Every single aspect of this podcast we do ourselves, from the preparation to the recording, from the editing to the social media promotion. So we're adding a Patreon platform because we want to keep making the show you love and hopefully expand it even further. So please consider becoming one of our most complicated fans and contributing on Patreon. To learn more, go to patreon.com forward slash pop fiction women. This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life. And the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media. Tag us with your favorite books, TV shows, and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at Pop Fiction Women or on Twitter at Pop underscore Women. For more coverage of the women you love or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com. And keep it complicated.